Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with us to the book of Mark. If you need an outline of the scripture, an outline of the message, and you did not get one, please raise your hand and Brother Steve will make sure you get one. Two testimonies this morning. As most of you know, uh, Terry was suffering immensely with his shoulder. And when you guys prayed for him last week, God touched him. Now, he, he, he just said that pain left. Would you praise God for that? Would you praise God for that? And we have a very special guest from Indonesia today, and I got an opportunity to talk with a young lady. If I could pronounce her name, I would, but I'm sorry. But uh, she just got back from Indonesia. Listen to this. And she's going to write this down so we can, so we can either publish it, and I probably want to put it in the bulletin or whatever. But uh, where she went or what was happening there, what's happening in Indonesia, and I think it's one of the, one of the major countries for Muslims. And, uh, and if I say something wrong, you can tell me later, and I'll, I'll re- re- rephrase it. But uh, what's happening, she, she either goes to a church or churches there, one of them is having large congregations and having five services on Sunday. Five. And she, the word that she used, I did get this word, it's crazy. It's crazy over there. The Muslims are turning to Jesus Christ by the droves. Would you praise God? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's all I need to say. Let's stand and be dismissed and go home. No, don't. I just love this. I just thank God for what he's doing. You say, how is that happening? Uh, one of the ways, of course, is, you know, is the preaching of the gospel. The word of God is going forth. But there's so many. One of the things I'll be talking about this morning is, of course, and we, we were on, we, we've been on this for a couple of three Sundays, is the fact that Mark wrote Mark. To the Gentiles, the book of Mark, to the Gentiles, people that were the outsiders, people that did not know about the law. And what God is doing today, he's revealing himself around the world to people that do not know him. And it takes miracles. And God, God is performing miracles. God is exposing the word of God and people are turning to the Lord. And I'm so excited about that. You say, I don't see revival in in America. Well, it's happening around the world. So I thank God for it. I'm going to read one verse of scripture and uh, it's in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom. Now, what we, have, uh, what we have, have, have dealt with in the last couple of weeks, and as most of you know, beginning in January, beginning this year, 2015, we're going to be on the book of Mark. And uh, we talked about Mark, the writer of the book of Mark. He was not an, a, one of the original 12 apostles. He was an apostle. In fact, he, there's a blip in his life. There's, a, there's mistakes that he made. And, 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 and yet God took him... And uh, provided the first gospel. He, he, even though it's the second book in the New Testament, it's the, it is the first book written. And uh, Brother Joe sent us something uh, this week. Thank you very much for that. He emailed us about this great discovery 
of, 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 of this um, part of the original uh, of the book of Mark. And it is one of the earliest manuscripts, in the, if not the earliest, in the uh, New Testament. So it's very interesting. And we uh, not only talked about the man himself, we talked a little bit about the book of Mark. I'm ready to get in the book of Mark. I want to get it. The first chapter, he starts off running, sprinting. And uh, it's very, it is very good. I want you to notice your outline, if you will, because I want to read the introduction. And we're going to tell you, I told you last week, three reasons why, and there's probably, there are probably more, but there are three reasons why that he wrote the book. Mark, Mark's purpose in writing this gospel, number one, was to make the good news accessible to the Gentiles. And I believe that God has, has led us to do this because we have a challenge ourselves to make the good news accessible outside of the four walls of this church. And that's the reason I'm excited about this book. And uh, the second reason that he wrote it is to be an apologist for the cross. In other words, Mark defended the cross. He talked about much of the, the, the uh, death and resurrection is recorded in Mark in the latter part of the several chapters in, in Mark. So he was an apologist for the cross. And I'm not, I'm not saying that all churches have, have laid aside the cross, but for so many, you don't hear anything about suffering any longer. It's all come and receive, and you can have all of this stuff if you come and serve the Lord. And he does bless. But there's a cross, and there's a cross for all of us. But the cross he defended, or he was an apologist of the cross. And number three, to encourage those who were facing persecution. That's the three main reasons that he wrote this book. And we went into the persecution last week. Mark is the gospel of action, moving rapidly from one scene to another. He substantiates the messianic claims of Jesus Christ by emphasizing, notice this, his authority as a teacher and his authority over Satan, his authority over unclean spirits, and his authority over sin. And I have here, before I start this chapter, chapter 1 of Mark, I'd like to continue the Mark, Mark's purpose in writing the gospel. In light, notice what we have, in light of today's America, even with the radical changes in our society, the church is largely silent. You're in America. I hope our church will not be silent when it comes to all that. I don't believe in standing up here and just giving a litmus of all the sins that's happening and all the wrong that's with America. We all know that. But I do believe that we need to expose sin. We'll get into that maybe a little bit further on. Even with the radical changes in our society, the church is largest silent. Why? And I wanted to go three misconceptions of why. Why are the churches all across this nation, why are they silent when it comes to the immorality and the sin that goes on in this country? Misconception number one, we think that America is not a mission field. 
As most of you know, we have uh, prayer every Tuesday at 930. And there are about 30 or more ministers that's involved in this ministry. Now about 15 to 20, 21, 22, come every, uh, every Tuesday. And, but we have had it for 17 years. I can't tell you the, the number of foreign ministers that's in this group. From all over the world. From all over the world. And these men and women have come here from other countries because they want to be a missionary for America. Oh, I thought we sent missionaries over yonder. Yes, but America needs missionized, if that's a word. We need, and, and they're coming, and they're starting churches. And if you were here New Year's Eve night and saw all the different churches that were here represented and what God is doing, but in our mind, in our mind, we think that America is not a mission field. Oh, yes, it is. Christians need to become missions-minded. And you think about Paul in Athens. And the reason I want to share this is because we need to have this mindset. I mean, I cut my teeth on all that. You know, I was raised in this. And I use cliches and I use theological expressions that most people now don't know anything about what you're saying. Paul had to adjust not his message, but his method when he arrived in Athens in order to touch those people. He had to find out what was going on there, know their language, know what would interest them. And as Christians, as, as Bethel members and attenders and, and Christians in America, we need to know how to reach those people out there, know what to say and know what not to say. Paul, listen, listen to Paul. Paul said right into the church at Corinth, to the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And I can get stubborn about my doctrine, about my belief, and I say, boy, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna compromise, and I'm not gonna compromise the message. But I can certainly compromise the method, and I can certainly try in my mind Though it's, it's, it's just like a stamp in our minds. Most of us have been in Pentecost and been in, in church and been Christians all of our lives or much of our lives. And it's stamped in our minds. And, and we have to get outside of that to understand where they are coming from. If I'm going to touch they, them, then I've got to know where they're coming from and be able to talk their language. I'm not talking about profanity. I'm not talking about ungodly ungodly conversation. I'm talking about being able to reach those people. And that's what Mark did. He's not writing. Listen, he's writing to the Gentiles. He's writing to the Romans. He's in Rome writing to the Romans. And so he's got to, he can't use the Old Testament. He uses very little Old Testament phrases and, 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 and scripture. 
So it's, it, it is vitally important. Paul says, I become all things to all people that I might win some. Know the culture, language, and how to relate to the gospel to the unbeliever. In America, we tend to build our buildings. Look at number three under number one. Look at it. In America, we tend to build our buildings and expect the lost to come to us. We got beautiful building. We got nice carpet. It's warm uh, in the winter. It's cool in the summer and just nice place you come. They're not going to come unless, unless we go out and reach them with the gospel. Now, there are mega churches, and some of the churches are growing by leaps and bounds. Thank God, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. I'm glad. But most churches, most churches are not experiencing growth. And the reason is because we don't get out there Invite them for one thing, lead them to Christ another thing. What if we all here, what, including the pastor, what if we all came, came in next week with somebody on our arm or walking hand in hand or someone walking with us that we went out and told them about Jesus Christ and they accepted Jesus Christ and then they came to church? It would take us what, one Sunday to fill up the church? Maybe at the most two? The first stop of the apostles' missionary journey was their own hometown. When Jesus sent out those disciples, when he left to go back to heaven, he said, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witness. What was the first place he said? In Jerusalem, home. Now that's, you know, We know this, and it's very important that we understand that. So this is is certainly a misconception that America is not a mission field. Every day of your and my life, we go on a missionary trip. The streets of Durham, our next-door neighbors, number number two, Church is another misconception. Church is only for Christians. We get in our little huddle group. And this happens. And, and, and if we're not careful, I'm not saying we do that knowingly and, 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 and maliciously. We're not saying you can't get in our little circle and our little huddle. But we do it by our actions. Do it by our actions. This creates an inward focus, and an inward focus prevents outreach. America has become desensitized to social ills and complacent with wickedness. What I'm saying is we get in here and we're Christians. We don't cuss and and do all the stuff that, you know, and we live in our own little world. We're not careful, but we come desensitized to what's out there. And we're shocked, and rightfully so. But we need to understand what's out there can be brought in here and taught how to live a righteous life. Acts 2, 
42 and 47. I didn't even write uh, to get that down. But, it, but it, most of us or many of us know about Acts 2, 42 and 47, about the church and how it operated and the purpose of the church. If you get time, read the Acts 2, 42 47. It defines the conviction of the early church regarding its purpose. What is our purpose here today? Why are we here? Why, are, why do we have a church? We've got a beautiful place. It won't be long. We'll have everything in this church. Just a few years. Just a few years. We'll have everything in this church paid off. I'm talking about the whole shebang. Everything here. But why? Why would we work so hard? Why are we given? Why, why, do, we, why do we pray? It's, it's, because, it's, it's for the reason that we're out, we should be out reaching the unsaved. That's our purpose. Today we need to hold these things, these same convictions, if we if we'd read it, uh, and pursue those same purposes. Evangelism, discipleship, look at it. Gift-oriented ministry, community, fellowship, and prayer. In other words, Bethel should exist for the same reason that the early church in Acts existed. You, you say, well, I don't know what, I, I don't know what. Just sit down and read Acts, just chapter 2. A few verses in Acts chapter 2. The main goal of the church is presenting Jesus Christ to the lost, to the unsaved, to those that do not know Jesus Christ. Many of them have never heard. They've never heard. Our land, here is uh, Alton Garrison. Our nation is a land of unreached people. We have disillusioned teens, addicts, prison inmates, the homeless, and you can go right on and right on, the people outside of this church. In a single year, the average 16-year-old will witness 15,000 sex acts and references on TV. Now, I read that a little fast, and it's a lot of words, but I'm going to read it again. Listen to this. In a single year, the average 16-year-old will witness 15,000 15,000 sex acts and references on television. By the time a child reaches high school, he has witnessed 33,000 murders and 200,000 acts of violence on television. Since 1960, the rate of illegitimate births in America has climbed 419%. And when our youth is, when they're exposed to all the garbage on television, when they are, they are exposed to all the music that encourages violence, abuse of women, you could go right down the line. When all that happens, and then we see a young man reach and get a gun and shoot somebody, we wonder why. They've been programmed day after day, year after year, and that's how they solve problems because that's how they solve problems on television. If they don't like something, they pull out a gun and shoot somebody. We're in trouble. And we are desensitized. It's, you know, violence is just... Now, not everyone... Most of you watch what your children look at and hear and the music they listen to, and that is good. But most of these kids have one single, they live in one single 
uh, parent home. Most of them have, have very little supervision. And so they watch what they want to. They talk like they want to. And then they act. We wonder why. Why do they, they go out and shoot somebody? Amen? And the church is silent. Watching violent films, TV programs, or video games desensitizes teenagers, blunts their emotional responses to aggression, and potentially promotes aggressive attitude and behavior. Amen. <laughs> it's just simple. Well, I don't know why we got so much violence and killing, and I don't know why. Uh, 19 murders this year? Shootings, I'm sorry. Thank you. 19 just in the first, this is, this, we're still in January, 19 shootings. And we wonder why. And I, I said I don't want to linger long on that. But it's important, folks, that we understand unless the church does something about it. Preaches against sin. Stands up for Righteousness. And for biblical principles, it's important that we do those things. Number, number four, and this, uh, and this is the third reason why there are so many misconceptions when it comes to America's society today. It is impossible to make a difference. I think this is the biggest one. I think this is the largest one. The reason that the church sits by, we go to our, we go through those doors and, and, and we sit down and, 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 I, and folks, I, I thank God. What we've had here this morning, you can't buy it. It's wonderful. And, and we need this and, and we need fellowship and we need all of this. And the reason if we're not careful, and believe me, I have struggled with this. We look out at all of this stuff and we, we hear what ABC, CBS, and NBC, and CNN, and Fox, and all the networks. We watch all this stuff and we scratch our heads and say, I just don't believe I can do anything about it. It's too big. It's, it's, it's preacher. It's just impossible. That's a misconception. Look at it. The first lesson in overcoming the impossible is you can't do it alone. That's the reason we have a church. That's the reason we have a gathering of preachers in Durham, North Carolina, because we need each other. Your brother and sister in the Lord is not the enemy. That brother across the aisle over there that maybe some won't even look at or shake their hand or maybe look with a funny look at them, they're not your enemy. Amen? And we need each other. I need you. You may not look like me and act like me and think like me, but I need you. We need each other as one. And not only in the, in, in, the, in the church itself, but we need each other at other churches. And I could name you preacher after preacher after preacher. We have such great fellowship. Jeff McCartney right down here at Rose of Sharon. That man, I love him. 
He don't believe like I believe. If I went down there in his church and started speaking in tongues, they'd probably pick me up and usher me out, you know. But that's okay. It's all right. And you know what? He's Southern Baptist. But he loves to come to the group and pray. He's there almost every time. Every Tuesday we pray. And some of the Southern Baptists won't come because they're... Now, we don't necessarily speak in tongues on Tuesday, but they know we, some of us, do speak in tongues. And that just, but we need each other. We need each other. There's some of those preachers that, that I disagree with their style of worship, but that's okay. How many of you know we need each other? You can't do it by yourself. We need the partnership and cooperation of other Christians and other churches. The second lesson in overcoming the impossible is the revival can begin with you. Wow. One of my favorite studies in the Old Testament is a man called, I like this name too, I like Hezekiah. I like to say that name, Hezekiah. Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a king of Judah. Hezekiah was uh, 25. Listen how young he was. He was 25 years old when he was put king of Judah. He was king for 29 years. You know who his dad was? Ahaz. Wicked, wicked, wicked man. His son was wicked also. But Hezekiah, the Bible says, was one, if not the most righteous kings in Judah. You know who, you know who he listened to and, and followed? Listen to this one. Isaiah, the great writer and prophet, Isaiah. Hezekiah was, uh, as I said, became king when he was 25 years old. The, 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 the country, the nation of Judah had backslid. It was immoral. It was on the wrong road to destruction. But this man came. Let's notice what he did. Look at... Look at uh, you can read this. By the way, listen to this. This is interesting. By the way, there are 11 chapters that are given to this man, Hezekiah. That's a lot of chapters. You'll find them in, in Kings, Second in Kings. You'll find it in Chronicles. And you'll also find it in, I think there are three chapters in, in Isaiah. 11 chapters. So it's very important that you know this man, Hezekiah, when he became king, let's look at 2 Kings 18, 1 through 8. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abai the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. 
Now notice some things that he did. He removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars. All this, this stuff that had been erected and, and, and people bowed down to it and the idols, he removed those and cut down the wooden images, which, was, which were idols also. And broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made for until those days the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehuston. I'm sorry, Nehuston. Nehuston. This is so interesting to me. Now, you remember how the children of Israel during the time of Moses disobeyed God and God had fiery serpents to come out and bite them and they were dying by the thousands. Dying by the thousands. Well, God spoke to Moses and the priests there, Aaron, and said, erect a... uh, a brazen serpent. So they got this brazen, made out of bronze. They got, the, they got this brazen serpent, put it on a long pole, maybe even put it up on a mountain or a hill or something so everybody could focus on it. And everyone that was bitten that focused on this brazen serpent were healed. I mean, God used this, this serpent for healing the people. Well, 700 years later, they still got this brazen serpent. Now, I don't know what your brazen serpent is, but if we're not careful, all of us have our little brazen serpent. Some some of them is pews. This is my pew, and I don't want nobody sitting in my pew. We all, if we're not careful, we have our little idols. And they, for 700 years, had burned incense to this brazen snake. They had made what was a healing an idol. And we see it all the time. We see it all the time. Many of the churches, the gospel's not going out, they become a shrine. It's an idol. Pride gets into people's lives, if we're not careful, over these idols. And so when, when Hezekiah became king, what, what he did, he tears down the groves, he, he removes the idols, and he takes this bronze serpent, and he breaks it to pieces. And he, listen to this. He called it Nehushtan. Now, let me tell you three things he had. He had spiritual insight. He looked and said, this is wrong. Number two, he had a very invincible honesty. He said, you know what that word Nehushtan means, it means brass. He just didn't see it was wrong. He called it. You see, we have a problem today of calling sin, sin. We have a problem with identifying what's wrong. I ran across this and I wanted to, uh, to look at it. It says, brethren, where do we go wrong? We live in an age that refuses to recognize sin for what it really is. We refuse to call which, that which is sin, sinful, evil, and wrong. 
Friends, when, listen to this statement. This is a powerful statement. When abhorrence of sin is minimized, seduction of sin is maximized. Woo! Now, Matt can remember that. I, if I read, heard it read, he, he's, got a, he's got a mind like an elephant. He, he could, you know. But I want to read it for us folks that has a hard time. When the abhorrence of sin is minimized, the seduction of sin is maximized. Let's, 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 let's look at homosexuality. Homosexuals are called gay, same-sex couples. Or it's said they have an alternative lifestyle. We call them homosexuals. What does the Bible call them? Sodomites. I know you don't like that. I know it sounds bad now because we try to be politically correct and don't use those words. Uh-uh-uh. They'll get you. Drunks are no longer called drunks. They're called alcoholics. When I was a kid, a drunk was a drunk. Now here's one. Adultery. Adultery is called playing around or having an affair. Adultery. What does the Bible call it? Adultery. Liars are no longer called liars, but they are ones who exaggerate. Oh, he just shaded the truth a little bit. It's according to what is it. A harlot or whore is now called a lady of the evening, social providers of companionship, or a madam. (laughs) Haven't we changed words? You say the Bible used that word? Mm Mm-hmm. Have you read it? Oh, yeah. Greed is praised as, praised as aggressive business. The list could go on and on. Jesus never minced, wor- minced words in condemning sin or sinners. He called them what? He said, you liars. Well, you do that. You let a preacher try that today. They run him out on the rail. You blind guides. You hypocrites. You fools. <laughs> That's what he said. You fools. They arrest you for calling saying things like that. I mean, you get arrested for stuff like that. Jesus did it. Hezekiah said, "You know what this is? You've been praying around. You've been you've been burning incense. To, you've been worshiping this thing. I'll tell you what it is. It's just simply brass." Love that he was to the point. He was to the point. It's, it's, it's no, you, you, think, you think you're really living it up? You can't watch a program on television that it, don't, it, it gravitates to a bar. Most all of them. Or, or, or someone in bed with somebody else. And we're, it's normal. For us, we don't think a thing about it. It's just things that we do. And it's normal. It's not normal. It is wrong. It is sin. And when you speak out against it, you're thought to be square or narrow-minded or a bigot. 
But Hezekiah, he called it what he was. For many today, they want to disguise sin and conceal the truth. I'm closing with the last one here. Look at number five. How can we make disciples out of our nation? How many people live in America today? Somebody tell me. 300, who? 300 million. And it's about 317 million people. It is estimated that out of that three, let's say 300 million people. It is estimated out of that 300 million people, 150 to 250 million are unsaved. They do not know Jesus Christ. That's scary. That is scary. How can we make a difference when there are three, rather, when there are 200,000 people? Let's say 100, I mean, make it. When there's, let's say 150 million. How can we make a difference every day of our lives when we walk out there? How can we be like Hezekiah? You might say, well, Brother Don, Hezekiah was a, was a king. He had influence. Did you know what? Every one of us has influence. You may not have the influence that a king has. You may not have the influence that someone else has. But every one of us has influence. You can affect somebody almost, if not every day of your life. And you have a way to get to that person. And for many, you're the only one that that will ever be able to get to them. So we can't look at Hezekiah or Isaiah and say, well, this was a prophet and this was a king. That leaves me out. I'm neither a prophet nor a king. I don't have any influence. Yes, you do. Utilize it. But how can we change it? Four powerful truths must guide us. The command is not optional. When Jesus said, make disciples, that was not optional. We must tell the lost, you need Jesus. Number two, the possibilities are mind-boggling. We have so many and great resources today. Use Facebook for the kingdom rather than using it for junk. Use email, text. Number three, conflict is inevitable. Satan will do everything he can to try to stop you. And I love the last, and I'll close with this one. A commitment of faith will finish the task. Father, we love you today. Father, we love you today. We Thank you for the speaking to our hearts, the challenge. I pray, God, these three misconceptions that we would just get rid of them in our mind, in our lifestyle, in our lives. Help us today that we will realize that the church, that America is a mission field and the church can reach this mission field. Father, help me to realize that church is more than just for Christians. It's for the unsaved. It's for the filthy. It's for the dirty. 
It's for the ungodly. God, help us not to ostracize anybody because because of who they are. Help us to love them. Yes, we want to speak against sin. Yes, we want to call homosexuality what it is. But God, if we don't love them, calling it is not going to do them any good. If we don't reach out to them, put our arms around them, draw them with the cords of love, it means nothing. Help us to realize the church is not only for the Christian. And then, Father, help us to know deep down in our hearts with exercise and faith that it's not, it is not an impossible task. Realize that the hardest door to go through is our own personal doors. Challenge us today, God. Speak to us today, God. Help us today, Lord, as we listen to what you're saying to us. Help us to be able to take that higher ground, to go higher in you and know you, dear God, in a better and greater way. Challenge us, Lord, as we reach out like Hezekiah did, that we're willing to call sin, sin. With all the love in the world we have, help us to be able to. God, we believe you today.